BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans podcast. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is with Susan Magsamen, founder and executive director of the International Arts and Mind Lab at the Center for Applied Neuroaesthetics at Johns Hopkins University. And she's the co-director of NeuroArts Blueprint. She's really at the intersection of science and the arts and has been for decades, incorporating academic research and other ways of knowing to inform the design and implementation of arts-based programs and products that can improve all of our well-being and health. And we're having a conversation about what it means to have an art and aesthetic mindset, how we can engage in this way of being in the world and how it really does support our capacity to meet the world with greater resilience. This is when really cool things that have been intuitive for so long end up being validated by brain science. It really makes me so happy. It really just gets me super excited. She also is the co-author of the book, Your Brain on Art. In this conversation, She's expanding what your view of art may be and how we can incorporate in these informal and formal ways to our day-to-day experiences for supporting thriving minds. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to write a little review and give it a five-star rating. That really, really helps me get this podcast spread out into the world. And of course, you can DM me with questions on at Raising Good Humans podcast on Instagram and sign up for my free newsletter, DrAlizaPressman.substack.com. Let me start by laying some sort of groundwork that might be useful. I think the first thing that I want to say is that, you know, as human beings, we are literally born with a hundred billion neurons, right? And so those neurons we come into the world and they're there for us to make these, these neurobiological connections. The only way that we can do that is by bringing the world in through our senses. And so we all have different levels of sensorial capacities based on our physiology or our genetics, but we all have to bring the world in through our senses. It's the only, it's the only way. So when you really look at these profound ways we do that, Touch is an extraordinary sense where you have, you know, touch ties into the somatosensory cortex that helps you really interpret and understand what, what you're experiencing. 
you know, smell is an, an incredible sensorial sense as is vision and taste and hearing. And so, you know, we, when we do that, we are connecting these hundred billion neurons together through synaptic connection. And those connections create neural pathways. Those neural pathways connect all the different structures and parts of the brain. And how those, those, those neural pathways connect really allows us to do everything, whether that's have emotional experiences, move, think, create, collaborate. It's because of these neural path, these neural pathways that connect within our brain, but also connect to our physiology, to our body. So, so what we know is that these, Sensorial experiences, the more salient they are, so the more they matter to us, meaning they're either practical or they're emotional, they, they create stronger, better neural pathways. And it turns out that arts and aesthetics are really some of the most highly salient experiences. And in the last 20 years, because we've now are able to get inside of our heads, we can understand the extraordinary way that the arts actually impact us. And one of the things that we know is that these arts and aesthetic experiences actually connect multiple systems simultaneously. And so that's really sort of an extraordinary thing. So our brains are connecting, these arts are connecting our brains, but also our circulatory systems, our immune systems are engaging the reward system. So there are these sort of extraordinary mechanisms to be able to create significant neural plasticity, neurobiological changes within our within our brains and in our bodies. And, and that sort of lays the, the, the foundation. We also know that each of our brains are so different from each other because of the way we're wired. And so there's a couple of models. One is called the aesthetic triad that explains why each of us are so different. But And part of that has to do with culture, with life experiences, with our genetic makeup, with our sensorial systems, and also with the way we interpret what's important to us. And that ties into our default mode network. So when you're thinking about parents and childcare providers and the way that the arts can be helpful for young children, but also through the lifespan, the more we're building these strong neural pathways in young young children, but also in middle school and, and beyond, we're actually creating the capacity to meet the world with greater resilience, with greater skills, with greater emotional regulation, with better executive function. And those things are super important for us as we get older. When we are older, the arts then can come in to be helpful in daily practice, to moderate cortisol levels, to look at increasing reward neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, but also just to keep us healthy. And then they can be used for interventions. And so I like to think about this as the arts and aesthetic experience really weave through all of those moments in our lives and understanding how they can be used for different purposes, depending upon what the need is there. I, I say there's an art for that. And what, what kind of art depends on what types of things we're really trying to address. So how can people best connect with art? Because there are people for whom it's a natural fit. Not that, I mean, I think part of what you're saying is this, is this collective natural fit for all of us. And we're kind of wired in this way. But for people who don't think of themselves as artistic or as appreciating of the arts, how can we expand that view? One of the pieces of research that I think is really important to share 
is that you do not have to be good at an art form in order for it to have great impact for you mm. physiologically mm. or psychologically. And I think this misnomer that we have to be good at it in order to do it really has left a lot of human potential on the table. Sir Ken Robinson talked about this years ago, where he's estimated that by the time we're in third grade or eight years old, someone has told us we're not good at it, or we've gotten the message that we're not good at making art. And so we stop. And yet it's the very physiological evolutionary skills that we need to be wholly healthy and well. You know, we've been optimizing for productivity really since the industrial revolution. And I think what we have thought is that the arts are nice to have, they're a luxury, not a have to have. And so we've set up this paradigm that we wait to do the arts or we have to afford to do the arts. You know, indigenous cultures, and there are still 5,000 indigenous cultures around the world, really didn't have a word and still don't have a word for art, that we've kind of created the silo of art as this thing, but it's, it was a way of living. It is a way of living. So it's, it's how you move through the world and how you use all of these sensorial experiences to create community, to share story, to use visual art, to interpret or represent something, to, you think about symbol and metaphor. And so in some ways, we can definitely take a page from these ancient cultures that really understood the value of ritual and tradition and, and creative self-expression for individual knowledge and health and physical well-being, but also for collective knowledge and community building. When I had little toddlers, I loved giving them sand and water tables because it could entertain them for hours, especially when they could be outside. And now KiwiCo has kits to make your own sand and water tables. So I just ordered it for my favorite toddler. KiwiCo delivers seriously fun, hands-on projects that inspire a lifelong love for learning. Get 50% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash RGH. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash RGH. KiwiCo is designed by experts. The projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers, and rocket scientists who brainstorm hundreds of ideas to create the most exciting, age-appropriate, and educational projects. These are real engineering science and art projects with high-quality materials. It's awesome, and it's in a kit. So even when you feel like you just want to sit your kids in front of the TV and relax, you can sit them in front of one of these kits and enjoy a little time to yourself and know that they're doing something really cool. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash RGH. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash RGH. Breathe some life into your own backyard with FastGrowingTrees.com this summer. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. FastGrowingTrees.com plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home except sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. 
no problem because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, the plant experts are always available to help your plants grow healthy through the season and beyond. I love fast growing trees because I found a beautiful fiddle leaf fig I was looking for at a great price, and you will too. Let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Join over 1.5 million happy fast growing trees customer. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash humans now to get 15% off your entire order. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash humans to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash humans. Two separate things come to mind. One are nurturing kids and adult, because this is true for adults too, but nurturing younger minds through the arts, if that's an inclination. And the other is helping young people find space and time and inclination toward the arts that we might have, you know, decided wasn't important for them or that they didn't click with. I think that there's a, a big part of that has to do with what you said, which is, oh, you're not good at that. Let's put you over here and you'll do something else. Or it's not productive seeming or whatever the reasons are. So I'm curious, like, how do we harness the inclination of art or let go of our our holding on on when and how we're doing it? And this is thinking about young people. But then there's also what about those young people who are just not interested or seemingly not interested? How do we connect those dots? Mm -hmm. So I think what what I like to think about is, you know, starting with where you are. And so we all are involved in making or beholding art, whether we're aware of it or not. You know, we make a meal, right? We we often listen to music. We're not conscious all the time of the things that we're already doing that we're engaged in an art. So we have a, something called the aesthetic mindset in the book that is four things. And this sort of lays the table for that. The first is having more of a curious mind or a beginner's mind and just being able to be open to what's around. The second is playful exploration. So messing around with stuff without judgment without criticizing what you're doing, without saying this is good or bad, but really this idea of play. And play is about not having an end result, but really being able to explore and discover. And it turns out that when you really examine your own behavior, oftentimes we don't let ourselves play. And the third is more of a sensorial awareness. What are you feeling? Like, what are you feeling right now? What kind of light is hitting you? What's the temperature? You know, what are you smelling? Being being aware of what is actually in your sensorial world and, and feeling that, you know, we're often in our heads, not in our bodies and just tying into some of that. And then the last is kind of thinking and doing more about what are you making and what are you beholding? And some of these things can be as simple as doodling or coloring or simple drawing, singing in the car to the radio, you know, singing in the shower. My husband and I dance every Friday night at home in our living room because it's a lot of fun. And, you know, thinking about things that offer that, you know, I consider things like gardening an art form. What are the things that you do that already have that element? You know, if it's true that there are so many things that have this opportunity for you to express yourself, where are you already doing that? 
And I think what you'll see is that when you start to soften the, the barriers between what is and isn't art, journaling, expressive writing is an amazing way that people can really begin to share how they're feeling and, and, and be able to reflect on that and have an interpretation. There's a researcher named James Pennebaker who's done a lot of work with expressive writing. What he's been able to show is that when you express something in writing that you've been holding, you don't need to share it with others, but you express it. He's been able to show that your cognitive load decreases and cortisol decreases. And so you have more capacity to be able to do other things because you've literally been able to get that out of your system. And I think there's things like that that are so simple to do. And and in some ways we do them, but we don't really think about what the value of those things are. Um, There's a huge upsurge right now with college students in knitting circles and doing handwork to reduce stress and anxiety. I think that's pretty amazing. We're seeing firefighters and first responders doing work. Doodling is a big thing, but doing visual arts, welding, woodworking to really confront things like PTSD and ongoing trauma. There's so many ways to think about low-tech, high-touch arts that help to reduce cortisol and and kind of induce a form of homeostasis that helps us just feel more present. It's funny, as you were describing it, I was thinking even meditation is a form of art because you're paying attention, you have that curiosity, you're using your senses theoretically, I guess, or trying to sort of feel what's happening to you in your body and what's going on around you. I was wondering like how many things are, of course, I'm trying to categorize it, but it's more like expanding, not not categorizing because it's allowing some kind of openness to realize that there is more art than we think we're experiencing in a day-to-day life. Yeah. And how we're, and how we're feeling it. I think we, you know, we think about something as simple as, and we talk about arts and aesthetic experiences. So even if you start at the beginning of your day, you know, what are you waking up to in terms of the light, the texture of the blankets, when you get into the shower, and that warm water starts to touch all of those touch receptors. And let's just say you start to hum, you start to engage your parasympathetic nervous system, the vagus nerve is engaged. You literally feel better. You know, your body feels calmer, you feel better. And these small moments add up to making your day. And so how do you navigate sort of these new appreciations? I think about it as almost making the invisible visible for being aware of these sensorial experiences. And, you know, I was mentioning doodling and coloring earlier. There's some really great work around doodling that shows that doodlers pay attention better. They have more focus. They're able to recall and retain information better. So, you know, for all of us who were told in school, stop doodling, stop stop playing around. It turns out that doodling is actually a very good skill Visual arts are another really interesting example. And this, again, you don't have to be good at it, but drawing and understanding sort of how what you're creating could be drawing, it could be collage making, I'm a collager, helps you to really create symbol and metaphor and help you understand sort of what you're feeling or what what content you're really trying to process. And that skill transfers into other areas of your life. And transfer is sort of the holy grail of learning. And so 
if you can be working in one domain and learning how to create a problem solve and understand sort of kind of structure and then move that into other areas of your life, that's hugely important. And that's particularly great for young children to be able to build those resources and those capacities to be able to, to adapt, to be able to switch to be able to move content from one area, want skills from one area of their life to another. So the implications for education are obviously so enormous. But since we can't control what's happening necessarily in our school day, what can we think about for in terms of like family rituals and unique experiences for our kids that are just opening up the opportunities? Is it leaving a journal out? Is it you know, just pausing and putting on some music and having everybody dance? Is it just not stopping kids from their natural inclination to do things like doodle while they were maybe supposed to be doing something else for a moment? Is it about taking the time and exposing or is it, is there something more formal that has to happen? No, I think we use, that's exactly right. I think starting from where you are and creating these enriched environments where families feel like there's an opportunity to feel safe. And safety is not just the absence of threat. Safety is a space, a comfortable space where you feel like you can share yourself, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to feel like you're going to be criticized or you're going to be made fun of, you're most likely not going to express yourself because that's too dangerous. But families, you know, home is it's a sanctuary. Home is a place for discovery, for renewal, for retreat. You know, I always think of a home as having multiple chambers for different emotional needs, different different opportunities. So, so thinking of your home as a place where your family can grow and learn and collaborate and 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 renew shifts the aperture enough that you can sort of begin to think about that. So, so for sure, being able to model that, I, I, I find modeling to be probably the most effective way that we learn. And so modeling that, so, you know, for me as a, as a mom, you know, putting my technology aside and, and focusing on being present with the people that I'm with when I'm with them and setting up some of those sort of, those sort of conditions for coming together. Rituals are so important and those routines around cooking together, thinking about different ingredients, thinking about the smells and texture and tastes of things, you know, how you create a space, you know, are, and these are really sort of, you know, very utilitarian things, but are you sitting at a round table or you're sitting at a square table? You know, do you use cloth napkins? Do you use paper napkins? Like, what are those real sensorial things that are happening? Do you light a candle at dinner? Do you, how do you create that environment for collaboration and communication and coming together? Are there, you know, materials where, you know, things that you can do together, putting a photo album together. I mentioned dancing during the pandemic. We saw that families did a lot more dancing, which I think is really interesting because it's physiological, it's physical, right? You're getting a lot of this energy out, but it's also, you know, total reward and it's storytelling. And so, you know, dance is an amazing way, you know, being able to share different musical preferences with each other helps to, you know, share what is going on without asking somebody, Hey, what's going on. I think there's all those small ways that start to add up to creating a culture of in a family. You know, we talk about art creates culture, culture creates community and community creates humanity. 
And so that starts with you individually, and then it starts with your your family and then your community. So I think it doesn't have to be these big things. And it's not about overscheduling dance classes or music classes. You've read my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about that. You know, and, and I think it's really important that we don't confuse that with this innate ability mm-hmm. to express ourselves. You read my mind because I was thinking about why did I stop doing certain things that would be considered artistic expression when I was younger? And I was a dancer and I was really, really obsessed. And I was obsessed with it, not just the dancing part of it, but the stories around it and the art around it and everything. It was my whole world. And then I had an injury and I had to stop and I was so devastated. And my decision was that if I wasn't going to be able to be really highly skilled, I wasn't going to do it anymore. So I just stopped, never did it again. And I think that that is, that was not because my parents were pushing me and it wasn't because of anything outside that I know of. I'm sure there were messages that I got, but it made me think that was long ago. And now in the much more common culture of high achieving pressure, 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 and like become an expert by 13, I'm so curious, like how do we allow ourselves to think of things as valuable for the sake of the experience of it instead of to what end? Like in my mind, I had an end game of being a dancer. And then once that was off the table, I was like, this does not serve me anymore. And I won't do it just for enjoyment purposes because I won't be good enough. And (laughs) I'm exposing so much crazy. But that was my 16-year-old mindset of just like, forget it. What's the point? And I see today with a lot of families feeling like they have to get, their kids have to be really good at whatever it is that they're doing, or they should move on to another thing. And so they specialize really early. And it's such a, it's like a great Trojan horse into getting everyone to let go of that and think about just the experience of this art and aesthetic mindset. But the Trojan horse to me is to suggest that it actually is so beneficial for your mental health and for your cognitive flourishing and for so many, your relationships and so many different things. But it feels like you need that in order to sell the idea of stepping back and just being a human being who's experiencing artistic expression. And now another break so I can tell you about my sponsor. Ready Set Food is on a mission to raise awareness of food allergies and the importance of early allergy introduction. Food allergies, as we all know, are on the rise. Currently, one in 13 babies develops a food allergy each year. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree feeding small amounts of common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk daily can really help babies get the best chance at future food freedom. But it gets pretty scary when you know that you have to feed your baby something that tend to have allergens. Ready Set Food was developed by an allergist and mom of two to make it easy, safe, and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens. Guidelines from the leading medical organizations recommend feeding your baby allergens and then maintaining exposure until it's part of your child's everyday diet. 
With Ready Set Food, there are products that evolve with your child's feeding journey from bottles to solids. Try the daily mix-ins that you simply stir into your food and take the guesswork out of early allergen introduction. Visit readysetfood.com and use the code HUMAN at checkout for 10% off your purchase. That's R-E-A-D-Y-S-E-T-F-O-O-D.com, R-E-A-D-Y-S-E-T-F-O-O-D.com, and use the code HUMAN for 10% off your order. The research is really helpful. And when I say research, you know, we're looking at cognitive neuroscience, we're looking at neuroscience, basic science, psychology, psychiatry, public health information, epidemiology. And and the story that's emerging is that it's a yes and. You know, people who engage in the arts have lower mental distress, better mental functioning, and improved quality of life. I want that no matter what I'm doing, right? Right. Um, we know that moms that have postpartum depression are using singing and humming, feel better, faster. You know, sound vibration is actually very effective in moving the body to homeostasis and out of the sort of fight and flight freeze reaction that, that so many of us are sort of in and out of all the time. There's a lot of really great work around chronic pain and dance, as it turns out, and even virtual reality. And so I think what we're finding is that our evolutionary imperative of how the arts make us more human and more amplify our potential is, is increasingly becoming irrefutable. And so what we've done to ourselves in, in saying, if you're not good at dancing, you should stop dancing, has left so much capacity for managing all the areas of our lives outside of our realm of tools to use. And so I, I meet with a lot of young people in college these days, and I always go around the room and I say, what, what, is your, you know, what are your interests? And they'll say engineering and painting or dancing and psychology, or but there's yeah. always an art. And I think that's really healthy because you don't have to be one thing. Right. And I think, you know, I'm seeing CVs now where it's like, I'm a neuroscientist, dancer, you know, bike rider. A lot of these kids that are moving into these professions are demanding that there's more to life than just the career. And, and they need it for their mental health when you look at, you know, how and their physical well-being and their sense of community. And so in medicine, you know, there's a huge shift to moving around humanizing medicine you know, kids yes. that are coming into medical school right now don't have other interests because they've been totally about the grades, getting into the best medical school, getting into the, you know, getting through all of the prereqs and they're incredibly stressed. They don't have an appetite for wonder. They have no tolerance for ambiguity. They don't have great observational skills because they're myopic on getting into the medical school. So if you're treating people who are very complex, you want capacity for ambiguity. You want great observational skills. You want capacity yeah. for wonder to think about what else could it be, not just, oh, you're this symptom or you're this, you are the disease. And mm -hmm. so I think professions are starting to see that this narrowing is actually not good for the professions. And in business, we're seeing that too, where it's it's collaboration and 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 creativity and the ability to have interdisciplinary solutions that are really where, you know, 
the workforce is going. Yet we're not allowing that. We're not bringing that into this K-12 or even college experience because we're streamlining, streamlining. So there's some really big societal disconnects that I think are important to understand. But when you come full circle back to how do we learn? How do we grow? How do we really become the most whole human beings? Arts and aesthetics are just essential as sleep, nutrition, um, exercise. And I think that's that's where this field is really moving. God, it's so funny. All of a sudden, because I've never really sat down and thought about my relationship with art and aesthetics, though I bend in that direction more than certain other things. That's what I find more appealing. But in terms of doing versus being the observer, I'm just less inclined. And I was thinking about how my in college, I was an art history major. And one of the the only required studio art class I had to take was just like intro to studio art. And I got my worst grade, which already threw me because I was like, wait a second, how am I getting a terrible grade in studio art? And the teacher, my professor said that my project lacked creativity and vision. And he was really just like disappointed. And I said, is that because I'm a terrible artist? Because I already know that I've never really, I'm, I'm not a, a visual artist. And he said, no, it was the lack of creativity. <laughs> and I didn't understand him. But as you're talking about it now, I'm starting to sort of 30 years later <laughs> get what he was saying, even though I still resent that I never would draw. I wouldn't even doodle after that. And I think that that's something we have to always think about, like what what kinds of labels are we putting on young people in areas that are so personal that they could end up stopping whole areas of growth? So that was certainly the end of my doodling career. So between that and stopping dancing, you know, you still have to keep stretching and finding other things as your creative outlet. But I'm wondering, I guess, how do we distinguish creativity and art? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Is everything creative, artistic? I would say yes. I think of myself as someone who makes art as opposed to an artist, right? And and I think mm. there are people that are legitimately artists, you know, they are they they're professional artists. They make their career making art. They're, you know, that that's their job, the designers, architects, painters who dance professional dancers. But I make art and I I I I, I I dance, I doodle, I, I collage, I write poetry, I, I make art. And because that's how I express myself, you know, I, I, that's, and I think when you, and, and creating is really simply your ability to be able to, you know, creativity is defined as um, having ideas, new ideas with this, with a certain set of ingredients that you continue to evolve how you might use something and the agility of that. And so, you know, I think that requires risk and it requires vulnerability. It, it, it requires you to, to suspend judgment. And so, you know, so when someone says you're not creative, I think that's, we're all creative. We're all creating all the time, but I think it's where you, you, you allow yourself to do that is really really important. And I love that you're still sort of understanding what somebody said to you a while back and trying to sort of go, oh, now, I, you know, I left that behind because I was, you know, judging myself. And you've got a lot of societal impact that's actually helping you move towards those 
I think it's really important to like embrace the things you love without having to define your competency. And I'm a, I'm a beholder. I, I love going and perspective taking and, and having been moved by other people's stories and other people's creative self-expression that are great, you know, that are really amazing musicians. So it's not, I don't think you have to be one or the other. And in fact, like even now you and I are in an improv, you know, we're in an improv. I don't know what you're going to say. You don't know what I'm going to say. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. You're a different person when you hang up. I'm a different person when I hang up because we had this experience and we're, we're in it, you know, we're in it. And, and I think, you know, the arts, I think because we have not had the science to really be able to understand some of these neurobiological truths about Mm -hmm. this role, we sort of anecdotally said, oh, you know, I feel different. Or, you know, and artists have always been there. They've always known the the value of the arts. And we've marginalized that. You know, we've marginalized it for productivity. We've marginalized it because of resources. But if you look at the ROI on, on, on the arts for singing and Alzheimer's, that's a three to one return on investment. If you look at quality of life for Parkinson's patients who are dancing for their lives and their family members' lives, it's exponential. And so whether we're looking at education, healthcare, mental health, all of the different areas where we show up, if we're fully embodied, and, and, and I think a lot of times we're not, the the shift in our culture, I think, is really exponential. I loved that you said you're a beholder because I always say I'm an audience member, but I'm going to change it to beholder because that feels so much more active and it feels so incredibly active as a beholder. Like whenever I'm in experiencing someone else's art, I am so in. Yeah. And I, I love it so much, but it, I thought it was this passive experience and I have not put it in the category of my brain on art because I think, well, I'm just sitting here or I'm just moving to this sound or I'm just laughing to these performers. But actually, of course, that's such an active experience. You're changing. You're, you know, you're totally, I mean, audience seems more transactional to me too. You're so right. I'm so glad you said it. Yeah. You're totally like a vessel and, and what's coming in by, from a vibration point of view, from the audience members with you, the participants, you know, you all have, everybody coming into a space have made a commitment to leave the world outside and to be moved. And if you come in with that intention you, you may be moved to not like it, right? You may be moved to sadness, which is also a really important thing, or to sad, or to despair, or to touching into. I went to saw Dear Evan Hansen years ago, and I remember thinking I cried the entire time. I went to the ladies' room; everyone was crying, and we also connected at a very human level around how fragile our children, in this case, how fragile our children are, and how they try so hard to fit in. And I mean, but we saw it through the lens of a play, of a musical. So the intergenerational weaving of that story was so amazing, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't entertaining. It was so powerful. And at the same time, people left coming a tune, right? So singing, totally. Right. David Burns. That's a great example. Yeah. I wanted to 
get your thoughts on technology and art. Like, is there is there room for technology and art in all of this art and aesthetic work? I, I would say resounding yes. You know, technology needs to be in service of humanity. And I think that the cautionary tales when it's not are chilling. But I think technology is actually merging to give us a lot of really extraordinary things around immersive experiences. When you think about virtual reality or even these spaces where you literally are walking into a painting and you're in that experience, you know, these sorts of stimulations of our sensory systems, you know, and researchers now are saying, they don't think we have five senses. We probably have more like 50 senses. So as we're discovering more about human physiology, I think the technology is is really an opportunity to expand our humanity. And I think we have to use it in that way. Just one simple example of that is during COVID, just the fact that we had Zoom and we could connect millions of people all over the world to dance together who had Parkinson's is an amazing use of technology. I've seen AI being used in really interesting ways to think about people that are singing and being able to look at their voice patterns and understanding whether they have some kind of a disease, an early state of a disease or, or something that can be addressed early on. I think even the chat GBT is also really for some people, they're using it. I know writers that are using it as kind of a way to build drafts and to, to think about how to, to, to just work, work in kind of collaboration with technology. So I think, I think we've, always had technology, right? New technologies. But that doesn't mean that we're not being asked to be more ourselves, more creative, more connected. I think it's this connectivity also in the creativity that that we need to be working on. And I think that technology can help to provide some of that as well. I love this all all of this. <laughs> it's so cool. I have to say, I, you know, even with flourishing, you know, my, my husband and I were talking about this last night. You know, we don't want to just survive. We want to flourish. And yeah. what are those conditions for flourishing? And they are around awe, you know, rich environments, creativity, ritual, novelty, and surprise. When you said you love in a conversation where you feel more alive, like how many of us say that? Like, I feel more alive. I feel, and that shifts everything, right? You feel like you are engaged and there's purpose and there's meaning, you come together, you do more things, you know, you're not just transacting, you're transforming. And, and I think that's what, that's the best of us. And that's what we should be going for. This was so wonderful and interesting as a, as a beginner conversation about it. Well, thank you so much. And I actually think you should dance. I think you should go home tonight and you should put something on and you should dance. And just tell me how it feels. I think you might cry. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.